Welcome to Bioethics on Air, the program that brings you thoughtful, in-depth commentary on ethics at the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. I'm Jose Alot, your host. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. Before introducing my guest and our topic for today, I would ask that if you enjoy our podcasts and would like to support them, as well as support the mission and ongoing work of the NCBC, to please go to our website, ncbcenter.org, and click on the red donate button. Many of us know that the sanctuary of Lourdes, France is the site of many healings, but how does the Catholic Church determine if a particular healing is miraculous? Joining me today to respond to this question, or at least the medical aspects of it, is Dr. Karen O'Brien. Karen is a member of the Lourdes Medical Bureau International, the group of physicians that examines healings at the sanctuary to determine if they are, quote, medically inexplicable, unquote. Karen is the former director of inpatient palliative care services at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston, and she currently serves as the director of faith and community relations for palliative care, again, at Mass General. In addition to this interview, Karen and I have a very special announcement for podcast listeners about a pilgrimage opportunity to visit the Sanctuary of Lords with the two of us in April of 2024. Karen O'Brien, welcome to Bioethics on Air. Thanks, Joe. I'm really excited to be here today. Yeah, this should be a fun conversation. Now, Karen, our listeners know that whenever we have a new guest on the podcast, and you are a new guest on the podcast, that I ask them to say a little bit about themselves. So I was wondering if you could tell our listeners a bit about your background, specifically education, work, and your work experience practicing palliative care medicine. Sure, love to. So I'm a Boston native, born and raised in Boston and lived here most of my life. Went to undergraduate school at the College of the Holy Cross and uh, love it. Just celebrated my 41st reunion there. And then I attended, I actually, you know, I wasn't sure if I wanted to be a physician initially. And so I went and got my master's in human physiology and, and then decided, yes, I really want to be a physician and not a teacher. And so then I went to the Brown Dartmouth program in medicine, which is a combination school. So I went to my first two years at Dartmouth medical school and graduated my last two years from Brown university medical school. I did my residency and internship at Mass General Hospital and actually initially went into primary care. That was my first call. And as I developed my practice in primary care, I became more and more interested as my patients aged and as I aged in care towards the end of life or care for people who had serious illness, no matter what age they were. And we had a very robust palliative care program at Mass General. And so I took some time off from my practice to do training in palliative care and and actually got my board certification in 2012 and started kind of working part-time palliative care, part-time primary care, keeping my practice and really trying to develop a love for caring for people with serious illness. And then as the palliative care program grew in 2013, I decided to finish up my practice of primary care and ended up going full-time in palliative care, where I served as the medical director of the inpatient palliative care team until 2021. Mm -hmm. 
And then after the pandemic and all that work, decided to focus <laughs> on things that that really filled me up and, and helped to satisfy my soul. And so I got my certification as a hospice medical director, um, but then also started doing a lot of in-depth work with the Archdiocese of Boston and focusing on, on Catholics and their understanding of serious illness and palliative care in hospice. And so that's what I've been doing. Wow. I can tell you've, you've, you, you, you must have a lot of free time. <laughs> yeah. So Karen, so currently, as I mentioned in the intro, you are the Director of Faith and Community Relations for Palliative Care at Mass General. So what are your responsibilities in this role? And the the staple question that I ask new guests, what does a typical day look like for you? Yeah. So this is a role that I actually kind of carved out for myself. So in the Archdiocese of Boston, Cardinal Sean O'Malley is one of those people who had an absolute love of palliative care. And in part, I think he really wanted folks in the Archdiocese, but folks worldwide, because he's a world cardinal, Mm -hmm. uh, to really understand palliative care and how it differs from physician-assisted dying or, you know, hospice. And, And I can say that you know, both personally in my own parish and also in the hospital and, and in the archdiocese, and even nationally, a lot of people feel that palliative care and hospice is not consistent with Catholic teachings right. on caring of the most feral patients. And so, I've, Joe, you and I have done national work, you know, trying to, to help educate our colleagues even that mm-hmm. palliative care is really based on, on the Catholic Church and really caring for for patients who have a serious illness. So I became involved in 2012 with the Archdiocese as a referendum came to the legislation on physician-assisted suicide and fell in love with my colleague, M.C. Sullivan, who is an ethicist here, as far as love of teaching about palliative care. And so I joined her program, which she established, in going out to different parishes and talking about palliative care and hospice and why it's important to have a healthcare proxy and, and, you know, what does it mean? And can you have morphine if you're suffering and what is redemptive suffering? So we did a lot of, a lot of talks at different parishes, but then, you know, this little thing called COVID hit and we could (laughs) no longer go out to parishes and we still really wanted to reach out to people because people had a lot of questions and we said, huh, what if we could do a TV show? Right. And then people could watch it anytime they wanted. And so we approached Bishop Reed and at, at Catholic TV here in Boston, and he said, that sounds lovely. And so we filmed in November of 2021, we filmed our first episodes of Talking of Palliative Care. And literally, it was just MC Sullivan and myself sitting in Bishop Reed's kitchen with coffee in hand and, you know, just talking about topics that had to do with palliative care and care of the of the frail and and just people with serious illness and, and things that they should think of. So we, we actually filmed 13 episodes for our first season and we got a lot of fan mail and a lot of uh, <laughs> people stopping us at church and in the grocery store saying that was really helpful. And it really focused in the first season just on, you know, information like how do you do a healthcare proxy? Right. What is a, a most or a pulsed form? What about pain management? What about artificial nutrition hydration? 
And since it went over so well, they asked us to do a second season. And the feedback that we got was to actually focus on more clinical topics. And so our second season that we filmed focused on things like artificial nutrition, hydration. What does hospice really look like at home? Caregiver burnout. Uh, We did some talks on end-stage liver failure, end-stage renal disease, heart disease, not just focusing on cancer, fatigue, little things like that, and even palliative sedation, which can be a little bit of a tricky talk. And so we were excited when we found out that we won a national bronze telly award for health and science education for our second season. And I'm very excited to announce that we just heard from Kevin Nelson, the producer today, that we're going to be filming our third season early next year. And it's going to be a little bit of a slant. It's going to be called Living with Serious Illness. And we're going to kind of take a diagnosis and we're going to go from the time that you have symptoms and you approach your doctor and hear kind of bad news and take you all the way through the illness and the worries and planning for end of life. So that should be interesting. Yeah, it should be very interesting. You're a TV star. You and MC are TV stars. <laughs> no, and I'm going really. to link the talking of palliative care in the show notes so people can click on it and it goes right to the page and you can watch all of the episodes and, and we can look forward to season three coming out when it well, comes out. I'm very out. excited. Yeah. All right. So with, with this background, um, I'd like to shift into the, our, our topic of discussion today, which is the you know, the investigating miraculous cures at Lourdes. But before doing that, I wonder, Karen, if you can just give us a little background for maybe some people who haven't heard of Lourdes. What is Lourdes? And just personally, how how many times have you been there over the years? Yeah, so Lourdes is, I would say, probably my favorite place <laughs> in the in the world. So Lourdes is a very small town that is tucked inside the Pyrenees Mountains in southern France. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a place a place of history with Charlemagne's castle, and but a place of just incredible beauty, and you know one of the most wonderful things that has occurred there, which kind of made its fame is when our Blessed Mother appeared to St. Bernadette and and told her to come there and have people come there in prayer, in procession, and in penance. And wonderful things would happen. And, uh, and so, you know, it is a place of many, many healings and now 70 miracles that have been declared by the church. Mm-hmm. And I actually first became involved through one of my friends whose father had a travel agency who went on pilgrimage and took people from the United States who were sick and handicapped. And so I've actually had the privilege of going since 1995. I've been 20, 24 times I've been going to the Lord's. And I will tell you that every single time I have gone has been different, very different. Hmm. I've seen a lot of suffering. I've seen a lot of peace. I've seen such incredible healings, including my own daughter. Really? Yes. Yeah, so one of my one of my twins. I have five children, and one of my twins. Well, every every year that I went, as my children grew, I made sure that I brought one or two of them with me, and especially on special occasions. So when they made their first Holy Communion and when they were confirmed, because I wanted them not only to strengthen their faith but to have a sense of giving back. 
because there's a lot of need in Lourdes. When you look at videos and pictures of it, there are so many people who are ill and they all need caregivers. And even the caregivers need caregivers sometimes. And so, so they, when my twins turned eight and received their, their first Holy Communion, I was set to go on pilgrimage that year. And I took the both of them with me when they were eight years old. Well, of course, as you know, fate would have it, about a month before we went on the pilgrimage, my older twin was on a friend's trampoline and broke her arm and broke it really severely, required surgery, multiple pins, complications from surgery, that type of thing. And 10 days before we were due to leave, she was supposed to have her cast off and have the pins removed. And when she did, she couldn't move her arm. It was stuck in kind of a 70 degree contraction and and she couldn't move it. And they said, well, we're going to have to go back in and do more surgery, even though it's healed, the bones rotated, despite their pinning and everything. And so I said, well, we're supposed to go to France in 10 days, you know, and he said, well, she can still go. She just can't use the arm. She can, you know, use her other hand for her suitcase and carry a backpack. (laughs) There it is. So, you know, we went and, and I mean, it was wonderful. She was so happy to go. And, you know, we, it was a busy, it was actually a busy pilgrimage for me. I think we had about 300 pilgrims on that particular pilgrim and I'm the only doc. And so it took me about three days to settle people in. And on the third day, I was able to take my girls to the baths. So one of the big features of Lourdes are the miraculous waters. And that was when our Blessed Mother had actually asked Bernadette to dig in the ground. And as she dug, some water came up. It was muddy. And she said, drink it in penance. And she drank it. And of course, everybody watching couldn't see the Blessed Mother. They saw Bernadette smearing mud and dirty water on her face and drinking it, and they thought she was crazy. But that night is when the very first miracle occurred. A woman whose hand had been deformed and in in a permanent contracture actually heard about this, and, and she came and dipped her hand in the water, and it was restored instantaneously, and that was the first miracle. So these waters where Bernadette first dug are piped into what are called the baths, And there are, I think, about five baths for women and two or three for men. And they are these beautiful marble tubs. And you go in and people escort you in. And you go in naked but with a sheet wrapped around you. And they pray over you and they dunk you in the waters. And and then you come out and they they pray over you again and help you get dressed. And, And so, you know, there have been... Some healings in the waters, although most of the healings have occurred in, in the presence of the Eucharist. And, you know, Mary always leads us to Jesus. She always does. But anyway, I told my daughter that day, you know, both of them, I said, you know, you can ask the Lord for anything. But most importantly, he knows what you need. And you have to be open to whatever he wants to give you, even if you don't receive what you want. That's, that's not the important thing. God knows what you need and what he wants you to do in this life. And so just also ask to be open to whatever God wants to give you. And so I went into the baths, came out, one of my daughters went in, and then finally Colleen went in. And as we were getting dressed, she started, you know, mom, 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 mom. And I said, oh, you can't, you can't talk here in the baths. Ask me quiet. People are praying. And she said, but mom, look, 
my arm is wicked strong. She felt something. That's a, that's a Boston term. In the uh, that's why I'm laughing about it. I'm from Massachusetts too. I love exactly. it. Exactly. My arm is wicked strong. And she straightened her arm right out. And for the rest of the time on the pilgrimage, she used her arm like nothing had ever happened. And we went back to the doctor afterwards. And I said, look, her arm is healed. And can we get x-rays? Because I want to have this as a declared miracle. <laughs> I was going to ask you about this. Is this number 71? No. And he <laughs> said, there's no need for x-rays. It must have just been her muscles that finally loosened up. And I said, I don't think so. Because look at the original x-rays. Her bones had rotated. So he, he wouldn't do it. And, you know, being an eight-year-old, she wanted to get on with her life. And so, you know, she went around and played basketball and did handstands and everything else and still has the scars. She's absolutely, I've discussed it with the medical director of Lourdes, and she's definitely a healing. Right. And we'll get into what miracles are. But so she is one of the healings. And, you know, not only my daughter, but I've just seen... I've seen people who no longer have pain. I've seen people who just come to the most incredible peace. I've seen people who are angry or, you know, unforgiving to then forgive. So it's just an incredible place. And I'm so, so glad that we're going to have a chance to go there and share that with other people. Yeah, absolutely. And I've only been there once. So I'm very, very much looking forward to going back, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. So we, we'll, okay. we're, we'll make that announcement in a little bit. But so, so the story of your daughter is actually a nice little segue to my next question. And I, I'm going to ask you to, to if, if I'm getting names of offices or names of groups wrong, to please, to please correct me on this. But Karen, can you tell us what is the Lord's Medical Observations Office and then what is the Lord's Medical Bureau International and your role on that. Yeah. So the Lords, uh, so the, the Medical Bureau and Medical Observations Office is actually a physical place in Lords. So when you enter the sanctuary of the shrine, one of the buildings will have a, you know, a, a sign on it that says Medical Bureau International. And so any physician who is coming to Lords, especially on pilgrimage, and if you're able to come back on multiple pilgrimages, they encourage you to register with the Bureau. Mm -hmm. And so my very first pilgrimage, I went and registered. And it's not only physicians, it's pharmacists, it's nurses, and I believe physicians' assistants now most recently can register. And what that entitles you to is, you know, you're there, you, you have to register with the hotel that you're staying in, your cell phone number, in case there's a miracle. You get a pin, uh, which, which, you, which gives you actually a little bit quicker access into the baths because the lines can be long and they feel right. that physicians and nurses are needed to care for the sick. And it gives you access to all of your colleagues who are there during a twice a week, they have a prayer meeting for the doctors and nurses. And it's just lovely to have to combine the medical with the spiritual while you're there. And there's a, of course, a, a coffee lounge where you can discuss cases and then access to all of the teachings and all of the cases that have been 
purported as miracles or healings to look at, to explore and discuss. So that is, so every time that I went back, I would register, I say, I'm back. And the medical director who is currently Dr. Alessandro Di Francisis, you know, has my cell phone and I have his. And if anything is needed, we need extra help working in the clinic. There's an infirmary right there on site. And sometimes they're shorthanded. So I've had to care for people. If somebody faints at the shrine and you're a physician, go ahead and help and let's, let's, you know, mobilize the forces. So, you know, we're, we are made available. We make ourselves available, not only to our pilgrimage, but also to the people of Lourdes at the shrine to help care for them. That's, that's such a great, what a great opportunity to use your skills as a physician. That's, that, it's in just incredible. Way. And then, you know, yeah. we all bring we all bring supplies and medicines with us for our pilgrims. And then at the end, we donate everything that we have, IV fluids, etc. And the nice thing about that is then our pilgrims also don't have to pay if they need to be seen in the infirmary at the shrine. They are given free treatment as we give free treatment. So it's it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. Cool. That that's really neat. All right. So tell me about the process of investigating a purported miracle at Lourdes. What happens? What's what's the role of the medical commission? What's its process? How long does it take for the commission to come to a determination that a particular healing is, quote, medically inexplicable? Yeah. So so my understanding is that the the committee, there there is a committee to kind of who is always on call to look at these, you know, supposed miracles. But I can tell you from personal experience, because I was involved in the last miracle, the 70th miracle, and what happened was when Sister Marie actually then came to the medical bureau, so she came one year after her healing. So mm-hmm. she she came on pilgrimage in 2008, and I was actually there when she was there, which was which was really nice, but I didn't know that she had been healed. But when she came back in 2009 with her doctor to talk about, I think I was miraculously healed. The first thing that Dr. Alessandro did was he looked and saw who was here in Lourdes as doctors to start the initial investigation. And so that was was my part. And so he called and he said, you know, we don't usually meet on a Sunday, but we have a miracle. And so we need people. So he had us meet at the medical bureau. He had 25 of us. There were doctors from every country that was there at the time. So Germany, Vietnam, France, Italy, Spain, Portugal, the United States, et cetera, et cetera. And there were 25 of us and they brought in Sister Marie to this amphitheater with her primary care doctor. And she told her story. So similarly, if anybody has seen the 60 Minutes yep. clip, you know she told her story of the fact that she had cauda equina syndrome from very severe rheumatoid arthritis. And, and so her the end of her spinal cord was essentially crushed. And she was losing the function of her legs, of her bowel, her bladder. And so she told us this story of how it happened and the inner voice that she heard. She described it initially as a a woman's voice who said, take off your your braces and throw away your catheters and your medicines. You have no need of them. And, you know, it was just amazing to listen to her story. And it was translated in every single language so that we could all hear Mm -hmm. the same thing. And then we had a chance to examine her. So when I came even close to her, the the feeling that I got was that she was just, 
she was almost glowing. And she was just so incredibly humble. That was all I could think of in my mind. She's just so humble. Like, I, why are you making a fuss over me? I, I didn't do anything to deserve it. And, but she was just so gracious. And then we said, this sounds like it could be, but we want to start ordering tests. And so then we talked about getting an MRI. Well, we couldn't because she had an implantable device in her back, but we could get CAT scans mm-hmm. and we, you know, we sent her to a physical therapist and neurologists and, and even psychiatry because we wanted to make sure that sure. this wasn't something that she was making up and her doctor was there to verify her, her illness. And so we had access to all of that, all of her records. And for the next five years, we actually were able to receive any updates of consults and tests that we had ordered. And at the same time, you know, we voted during that first session that, yes, this was something that we feel unanimously we voted, that this is possibly a miracle, miraculous healing, not just a healing, but a complete cure. And so... So we gave that on to the committee, which my understanding is there, you know, there's over 300 doctors available. And depending on who is serving on the committee to look at and investigate these, these miracles, because we all go back to our regular right. lives. Right. Um, but there are certain people who are on a committee, and that's the, the international committee that actually takes it to the next level. Once they have approved this as a true miracle, it then goes to the local bishop where the person has resided. And in this case, Bishop Jacques, and I had the honor of meeting him as well during this process. And after looking at all of the medical data, and we have said, yes, there is no other explanation, and we can go into you know, what makes a miracle. Right. He then declared that, yes, this was a miraculous healing, and then it goes on to the Pope, and the Pope declared in 2018 that, in fact, this was the 70th miracle of Lourdes. This was a miracle. All right, so I, let's kind of back up a little bit just to just to oh. clarify a few things. So you were involved in in Sister Morio's case really because you just happened to be in Lourdes at the time that mm-hmm. she came back. So That's right. But, the, yeah. but, but there are people who are on sort of the next level, so to speak, of a commission that so they would get the 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 recommendation or the findings of the initial group that you were part of, mm-hmm. and then it goes up to this group, and they, I would assume, investigate further and and order more tests and and do whatever exactly. they do. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. Question then, and and I and and you mentioned that the the medical commission would declare the miracle. Do, what does the commission actually say? Do they do they use that terminology that this healing was a, was a miracle, or do they simply say that it's medically inexplicable? That that it's medically inexplicable okay. because that can only be declared by the bishop or the. That's pope. what I. That's what I thought. Yeah, that's. Mm-hmm. I just want to make sure of that. Yeah. Also, another question. As you were speaking, another question that came to mind is: so the doctors now, whether they are on now, I suppose the doctors who would be going to Lords and are registering, as you said, those are going to be faithful, faithful people. Does the the second commission, so to speak, does that have doctors who are? I mean, for for. The doctors who are atheists or agnostic, I, I I just wonder about if if people would ask the question. It's like, okay, if you have a bunch of if if the commission is made up of all members who are Catholic or Christian, 
there might be some, you know, someone from the outside might be looking in and saying, well, you know, that's a little fishy. Yes, they all want it to be a miracle. So they're going to find what they said. Does that commission, do you know, do they, do they seek the council or are there members who are not, not people of faith to, to, you know, to try to hedge off those, those critiques? Yeah, I really don't know. Although I do know, and, and, you know, I, I think as a person of faith, it's hard to separate your faith from thinking, hoping, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that this is going to be a miracle. But I mean, we really, I can tell you as a physician and how we are instructed to look at this is really purely just on the medical basis. So even if there were people of different faiths or even atheists, is there any way that this can be explained scientifically or medically is the question that we are posed with. And if it is not, if we cannot find any other explanation based on the test, based on the patient or story, all of the data, then, you know, we declare that it's inexplicable. And then it goes to the bishop for further investigation. Yeah. And you mentioned the 60 Minutes piece, and I'm going to link that as well in the show notes so people can see that. But I remember in that piece, Dr. DeFrancisis, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, he said, come to Lourdes. You know, our records are open. Um, mm-hmm. Anybody can come. Any medical, I, I mean, I suppose I could go, but it wouldn't make any difference because I wouldn't understand it anyway. But he said, you know, the, the records are open to any medical professional and you're, mm-hmm. and you're, you're welcome to, I guess HIPAA doesn't apply at Lords, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but he, he was very open and, and made that offer. So there is that transparency there. Yeah, they're absolutely, and it has to be transparent because, you know, people around the world are going to balk and say, oh, you're making this up. Right. And, and, you know, sometimes people will say things like that when it comes to God. And, and, you know, a miracle is when God has done something and it's not anything we can deserve. It's, you know, a lot of people ask. And a lot of times I think people find their own miracle in in other things, in, you know, in coming to peace, in coming to forgiveness, that type of thing. So, you know, a miracle is, is God just being God and so generous and loving despite us. And, and, you know, so I think, I think it's, it's important for people to know that just the, this medical portion is what we do. And then, and then that, you know, the spiritual part is really left to our church fathers. Right. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, while there have been 70 confirmed miracles, the number of healings is much, much, much higher. Oh, it was 8,000 the last time that I wow. checked, over, over 8,000 healings. Wow. Yeah. And those are recorded, heal, quote unquote, recorded healings. There could be even mm-hmm. more than that. Absolutely. Wow. All right. So going back to Dr. DeFrancisis in the, in the 60 Minutes piece, he said that there are seven criteria that must be met in order to rule out a medical explanation for a particular healing. I'm going to identify those criteria and they are, they seem pretty obvious to me, but I'd like to get your comment on them from your perspective as a medical professional. So the first criteria or criterion is that doctors must have previously confirmed the presence of the illness in a full diagnosis. And I guess this is kind of what you did when you were there with sister, with sister Morio. Mm-hmm. That's right. So we, we heard from her physician who brought all of her documentation 
of her severe, severe rheumatoid arthritis, which actually started at the age of 43. And, you know, she had had multiple surgeries. She was on hundreds and hundreds of milligrams of morphine a day just to control her pain and just to make life bearable. And, you know, and then to have stopped this 100% cold turkey and no withdrawal symptoms, you know, I know, I know as a palliative care physician who, you know, who is a prescriber of opioids, you know, that amount of milligrams and then just stopping it with no withdrawal in itself is that's a, I was going to say, that's a miracle in and of itself. Yeah. yeah. Wow. All right. The second criterion, the illness must be severe. How do, how do you define severe? Yeah. So severe is, is something that is not curable. So a cancer, okay. you know, I mean, I think, I think of my own daughter, you know, with her broken arm to her, I think it might've been severe. It was more of an inconvenience <laughs> than anything else. She's going to recover from that. But it has to be something that is is most likely going to get worse, that is greatly affecting your life, and will likely cause the end of your life. So not a terminal illness, but you know, because people can live for a while with a serious illness, such as heart failure, end stage liver disease, end stage kidney disease. But it has to be something on that magnitude. Okay. Third criterion: the illness unexpectedly disappears. Yeah. So, you know, even listening to Sister Marie, you know, she wasn't expecting a cure. And in fact, when she got home, she told us that she actually experienced more pain, almost the worst pain. And she thought initially it was because she had traveled, you know, her back wasn't used to train rides and and everything else. And, And then all of a sudden, she felt that her foot was getting a little bit better and she took her brace off and her foot, which was crooked because of the rheumatoid mm-hmm. arthritis, all of a sudden straightened out. And, you know, it was the, it was a similar thing with my daughter. She felt something first before she moved her arm. She felt something in her arm. You know, she described it as a warmth, but just that it just felt wicked strong. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Maybe I should, we should turn that into the, that, that'll be the title of the, no, no, no. <laughs> the fourth criterion, and this is, this is one that had a little question on it. And, and what you just said, they've responded to a little bit, but it said the cure is instantaneous. And I guess the question I have, I, I, I guess when I first heard Dr. DeFrancisi say that the cure is instantaneous, I, I guess I understood it to mean that it happens right there at Lourdes. And, and Sister Morios, it happened at some point later on. So again, what does instantaneous mean? Yeah, so so I, I agree. I, it's not that it happens right there in Lourdes, although many of them have the declared miracles. But it but when it happens, it happens all at once. So I guess a, a best way to illustrate this is I cared for a woman over in Lourdes on our one of our pilgrimages who had Lou Gehrig's disease. Hmm. And and she couldn't speak. She was wheelchair bound and just in the most severe pain. And during the blessing of the sick, which is one of the big processions that happens in Lourdes every day, there are two big processions, the blessing of the sick and the candlelight procession. During the blessing of the sick, the bishop stopped right in front of her, which was interesting because she was not in a place where the bishop would stop and bless people. But he did and he blessed her and her pain disappeared immediately, but her disease didn't. 
Um, so she was excited because she could communicate that she had no more pain. As she got home, she continued over the next few months to feel a little bit better, but it was more of a feeling coming to a peace. She's not a miracle. She wasn't a miraculous healing, but she, over time, she experienced other little healings. And in fact, she knew when she was going to die. She, she was able to express to her husband, the blessed mother told me, I will be home in 40 days. And she was. And so that's something she, so as she left the pilgrimage and as she had her original healing of pain, she continued to experience feeling good and feeling better. And, you know, so a miracle, that would not ever be a miracle, even if she was completely cured at the end, because it's a gradual process. These happen when they happen, whether it's three days after going in the baths or whether it's right there in Lourdes, everything happens at at once. And so what Sister Marie told us was it started with, you know, take your brace off. And she did. And then she actually felt uncomfortable in her back brace and she took it off. And she said, immediately, I felt so much better. And then, you know, she also had other bodily functions that weren't functioning that all of a sudden she said, oh, my goodness, I have to go to the bathroom. And she was able to (laughs) without any difficulty. And so it it was just she was 100 percent back to normal once it started, once she felt it, once she heard this in her voice. Hmm. Interesting. It was very interesting. Yeah. Criterion five, the cure is complete. Yeah, so that's that was our job initially to examine her and to look for, you know, other things that may have happened. Did she take any other medications? Is this a psychiatric? Was the whole thing psychiatric? Right. Did it come back? Did it last for a short period of time? And that's why it actually takes years to declare a miraculous healing because you have to make sure that this isn't going to come back. Right. And, and and even in cases where there is cancer, sometimes they will actually wait until the person has died and do an autopsy just to make sure the cancer has never come back. Really? And and in, in the particular case that you worked on, it was 10 years or so, wasn't it? I mean, it was- 10 a, years. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, a, that's a good long time. All right, criterion six of seven, the illness does not return. That's pretty obvious, but- mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And as I said, you know, I mean, we, sister, actually, in, in my most recent pilgrimages, I've seen Sister Marie there and she has gone sometimes to volunteer and working in the baths. And so, you know, it, despite the fact that she's in her 80s now, you know, she's still going strong. And the, the 60 Minutes clip will show you, you know, just how well she's doing. Yeah. And then the last criterion, no medical explanation can be found. Yeah. I mean, and that that is, you know, our biggest job is, you know, was there any intervention, you know, did this, was it a wrong diagnosis? So we look at all her original diagnoses and tests. And, you know, in fact, she did have cauda equina syndrome where, you know, the end of her spinal cord was, was being crushed by the arthritic changes. She didn't have any surgery after that. There was, there was nothing to explain why her function came back. Right. As again, as you were speaking, I was thinking, and I've always wondered what it's like to be a cardinal in the Sistine Chapel when you're electing a pope. And I'm wondering what was it kind of like in the room initially when you're hearing from Sister, and where was the moment that you said, or what were you thinking, or what was your what were you feeling at the moment that it kind of hit you that whoa, something could be going on here? What what was that like? 
Oh, it was just incredible. I, I have never felt so privileged. And this was the first time and the only time that I have been called, you know, to do this because I happened to be there. And it was just like, I, when I left that room and the room, you know, it was very regimented. We, we listened to the doctor, we listened to her story. We talked about what questions we had. We all asked questions. We had a chance to examine her. We had talked about tests. So it was very, okay, now we have to do this. Now we have to think about this. And, you know, when I left there, I just said, wow, I have actually seen somebody who I truly feel was miraculously cured by the Lord, you know? Right. And it was just, I mean, you can see that all around Lords. You can see just the miracle of people who are bringing their children or their loved ones, women crawling on their knees in just the faith and where you can marry that faith with your background in medicine, there's nothing, there's nothing more miraculous than that. It's just beautiful. Yeah. I'm actually looking forward to experiencing that because the time that I was in Lourdes, it was in December and there was nobody there. I mean, literally nobody there. Funny story. I tell people I I went to confession there and I think the priest was so lonely. It was a 25 minute confession because we were just talking. And I said, you know, should I leave? And he's like, oh, no, 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 we're fine. Let's just keep talking. So it it was just really funny. But I'm I'm, I'm really looking forward to having that experience. I I was going to ask you if there are any other healings that you've been involved or uh, healing investigations that you've involved in. You answered and you said, no, it's only this one. But do you know, are there any cases that are in the pipeline, so to speak, right now in terms of being being examined? No, not that not that I know of. So I because I'm a member of the Medical Bureau, I get quarterly reports and updates and currently there are none as of the last update I got was in April. The last bulletin I got was in April. So none right now. We're always hoping for more, but I, I guarantee you there are many more healings right. going on for sure. Right. All right. We've reached that point of the podcast where we have a very special announcement to make. And Karen, do you want to make the announcement or do you want me to? I think everybody knows what it is by now because we've been talking about it. But uh, no, you can, you, it's your thunder. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if it's really my thunder. But so it just for listeners, Karen and I have a, a great opportunity, we believe, for you. We are leading a pilgrimage to Lourdes and to Paris in April of 2024. The dates are, we'll be leaving the US April 12th, returning on the 22nd. As I said, Karen and I, we're going to be leading it. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to spending some time in Lourdes with you, with someone who really knows, you know, really knows what goes on there and has, has the kind of the inside scoop in terms of, in terms of the healings and, and the medical commission and everything else. So we're going to spend three days in Lourdes. We're going to spend six days in Paris and we'll be, it will be visiting many of the sites, obviously, in, in Lourdes, the, around the sanctuary and, and, and being there. But we're also going to visit sites in Paris. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about that as, as we move on. So there's an information form. I'm, I'm going to try to link it in the show notes on, on SoundCloud, which goes to Spotify. I don't know if I can do that. I'm going to try. I know I can do it on our, on our website, on the NCBC website. But if, if people are interested, and we only have about 20 spots, because we're, we're keeping this group very, very, very small, because we, we, we just want to do it that way. And it's first come, first serve. So if you'd like to get information, please feel free to, to email me. My, my email, as I say on the podcast all the time, is, is jzalot at ncbcenter.org. And again, this will be in the show notes. But if you're interested in joining us, please contact me and love to have you join us. So Karen, with that in mind, 
you said you've been to Lourdes, would you say 24 times? 24 times. 24 times. What have you found, particularly for people who are visiting for the first time? And you've, you've mentioned a number of things already, but for someone who would be going to Lourdes for the first time, what will, what will they experience? So I think, so in the town itself, when you leave your hotel, you're going to think, oh my goodness, what a gaudy place because there are lots of shops and shopkeepers who want to sell you every kind of rosary bead and years of our Lord with flashing eyes. So, but please do not think that that is what is, is Lord's. When you enter the sanctuary and there are two main gates, there's St. Joseph's gate and St. Michael's gate. And it is, it is quiet. It is peaceful. When you go into St. Joseph's Gate, you'll see a beautiful statue of the crowned virgin. It's just magnificent, and people will leave roses there for our Blessed Mother. And then as you turn away from that statue, you'll see the beautiful Basilica of the Immaculate Conception. And, and it is that the very top of that is the, is, well, actually not the very top. The very top is the, is the Church of the Immaculate Conception, which is absolutely exquisitely beautiful. Right underneath that church is called the Crypt, and that was the very first church that was built when St. Bernadette went to the Bishop Paramel, Father Paramel, and said, the white lady said to build a church here. <laughs> and that was the very first church, and she was actually able, St. Bernadette was actually able to see that church built before she died, which was wonderful. So it's just beautiful. And then the beautiful Rosary Basilica, which has, you know, it looks like these outstretching arms just waiting to greet you. And inside of that basilica, which is one of the biggest ones, there is a mosaic of all of the decades of the rosary. Mm -hmm. And in the I want to say it's the Glorious Mysteries, and it's the last Glorious Mystery. The United States actually contributed to that mosaic, and there's you can look for a tiny little flag within the mosaics. And then on the side of that basilica, as you go along the Gav River, is all kinds of fonts where you can get holy water, and then there's the actual grotto, right. and people can go there to pray. There's actually, they have a a plaque marking the, the exact spot where Bernadette was kneeling. And I always visit that spot and just say, oh, this is where she was when she saw our Blessed Mother. And just because I can't see her, I know she's there. And then people will go in and, and in the grotto itself, there's a petition box. And so I always bring lots of petitions and they have a priest whose job is to pray for those petitions every day. Mm -hmm. And then they also have an offering box. And then they actually have the site where Bernadette dug. It's now protected because of threats of bioterrorism. It's protected with a very thick plexiglass, but you can see the spot where she dug and the water flowing and people will leave pictures and rosary beads and everything there. And then you can actually touch the wall of the grotto right underneath where the Blessed Mother appeared. And there's always water dripping from it. So people will right. use the rock, etc. They have a beautiful altar there and have masses there in many languages every day. And then if you go past the grotto is where the baths are, yep. where you can actually go. And I would say that that's, that's really a highlight. The water is usually freezing because it's water <laughs> that comes out of the Pyrenees initially in Gavarni and flows along the Gav River. But it is just, it, it, dries so incredibly fast on you. You don't have to dry yourself off. And it is just an incredibly humbling, prayerful experience. On the other side of the river, there are beautiful stations of the cross for those who can't travel up the hill. 
across the street from the Rosary Basilica is a big live Stations of the Cross, not not live, but life-size forms, mm-hmm. where you really feel like you're going up to Calvary. I mean, it's it's rocky, it's dirt and gravel, and you have to climb up this big hill. Yep. And it's just beautiful. Yep. And then there's also, there's other basilicas. There's an adoration chapel. There's St. Bernadette's Basilica. And then the the actual biggest underground basilica in the entire world is the Pius X Basilica, which is where they have the reposition of the Blessed Sacrament every evening after the procession. And that basilica holds 30,000 people. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. is something to see. And if, if we're there on a Sunday, they have the International Mass on Wednesdays and Sundays. And that is something that shouldn't be missed. You have There's usually hundreds of priests and, and bishops celebrating that it's packed. There's standing room only. There's beautiful music. It's about a two and a half hour mass, but that's something not to miss. Yeah. Well, we arrive on a Saturday, so we will be there on a Sunday. Perfect. So, so, so we can do that. I, I'm wondering, Karen, because of your, you know, your membership, so to speak, with the with the Medical Bureau International, are there any unique experiences that that we could have with our small group? I can I can check with the medical director. So I'm hoping that Dr. DeFrancis is is still there. So interestingly, the medical director of Lourdes is actually invited by the current medical director and the Bishop of Lourdes. So we just got a notice that, in fact, Dr. DeFrancis is retiring. He's actually accepted another position in Lourdes. And you have to retire as the medical director when you turn 65. And so he has actually just sent out an email to all of us who are potentially qualified to be to to be the medical director? Uh, I'm I'm qualified. I well, I would not do that. I mean, uh, come on, I want to nominate you. No, my my husband is is about to be <laughs> ordained as a deacon, and he's worked hard, and I want to stay here for him to be a deacon in the archdiocese. But you know, you have to have been involved in Lords, a love of Lords. You know, been involved in the bureau, speak French, all of those things, and then. You know, they look at the book and see how many times have you been to Lourdes and are you a faithful person here? Then you have to actually give up your life and move to Lourdes and that's your full-time job. And as much as I would love that, I don't (laughs) think my children or my husband would really want me to move to Lourdes. So I'm hoping that he is still there and I will be in touch with him and see if we can meet with him and have him give us a talk about the miracles and actually even allow us to to just see all of the healings that are, that have been claimed so far. Yeah. Now, Karen, you've been to Paris as well. I, I have. What are what are some of the the religious or other sites that you enjoy visiting in Paris? Oh, so I so I've been to Rue de Bac where Saint Catherine Labore, yep. her incorrupt body. We're going um, there. Where is just really incredible to see, and you know, I had the opportunity to buy some miraculous medals still made by the same sisters, the same nuns in which Catherine Labore, you know, belonged to that their their order, and and then along with her is Sister de Marillac, I think, who was her spiritual director, and her body is also incorrupt, and right there in the same area is the heart of Saint Vincent de Paul, who is all his heart is incorrupt. So I've been to those sites. And then I've been to Sacré-Cœur, which is on one of the seven hills in Paris. And there are 450 stairs to climb to get up there. It's totally worth it. It is just an incredible basilica. 
And mm-hmm. if you're there at sunrise or sunset, you'll just have the most exquisite view of Paris. But there are many, many side altars. There's a beautiful one to St. Anthony, etc. So I haven't been to any of the other sites outside of Lourdes, like Blasura. I would love to go there. I have been to Nevers, which is only a three-hour train ride or bus ride. It's only a three-hour bus ride from Paris, where St. Bernadette is incorrupt in her glass casket. And I've been there several times, and that is also just an incredible sight to see. Yeah. Yeah. I've been to Sacré-Cœur many times. And by the way, there is a, a fornicular that go off to the side that you can go up. So you don't have to take the uh, stairs up. Even over. You know, you gotta, you gotta have that <laughs> kind <of> experience. <laughs> yeah, you do. And another thing we do, and, and people have, there is, there is free time to be able to do it. But one of the things I've just, I've taken numerous groups to Paris. And one of the things that I really enjoy doing is taking them out to the Normandy landing beaches. And that is a really, I mean, a lot of people say that that's now granted I haven't done a Lord's Paris trip. So, so obviously Lord's would probably be the, the, the higher of the two, but people have said when we've gone to Paris, they just absolutely just the spirit of, of the landing beaches and the American cemetery out at Normandy. It's, it's a, it's a wonderful day trip. So that opportunity is there as well. So Karen, as we wrap up, what uh, final words of wisdom do you have for our listeners today? I think that if you if you ever get a chance to get to Lords, your life will never be the same. I when I after my very first trip, I really couldn't even talk about it for two weeks. I was just in such awe of such a holy place, and it it changes everybody. It may be a little at first, it may be a, a miracle, but it it is such an incredible place. And I would I would you know if you ever get a chance to go there, I would say definitely go and be open to whatever the Lord wants to give you at any time. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, for listeners, please remember that information for Karen's and my pilgrimage to Lourdes in Paris is, is available in the show notes. And if you have questions, you need any further information, please feel free to email me at, again, jzalot at ncbcenter.org. So Karen O'Brien, thank you for joining me today on Bioethics On Air, and we'll see you in France. All right. Thank you. Au revoir. Au revoir. For more information on the topics discussed today and other bioethical issues, please visit our website, ncbcenter.org, where you can subscribe to our newsletter, as well as our publications, Ethics and Medics, and the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. The views expressed on Bioethics on Air are not necessarily those of the National Catholic Bioethics Center. If you have comments or questions about this or any of our podcasts, please contact me, your host, Joe Zalot, at J. Z-A-L-O-T at ncbcenter.org. Archived editions of the podcasts are available on our website. Please hover on the blogs and podcast button on the main page and then click bioethics on air. Finally, if you enjoy our podcasts, please subscribe to them. And if you would like to support them as well as the mission and ongoing work of the NCBC, go to our website again, ncbcenter.org and click on the red Donate button. Thank you for listening, and may God's peace be with you.